Hello, and welcome back to part two of our interview with Sir Thomas Allen. We're kicking off where we left off, so if you haven't yet, we recommend listening to part one of our interview with him. But if you fancy living a reckless life, here we go. So embodying these different characterizations, as you say, it's a real actor's job and you probably work really closely with the director. Um, <clears throat> what kind of director gets the best out of you? What's your favorite type of director to work with? I was lucky in the early days, not having been on stage at all, bar one short appearance as a student, um, to come across people who gave me basic principles, you know, just being aware of the fourth wall where I stood on a stage, uh, being aware of what my body does and what, what, what shape my body is making in any particular moment. Um, it's something that more singers should know about and uh, seldom are because you know the basic principle that we get bogged down with is how to stand on a stage and just deliver lines whereas the body tells you so much more i can't sing winterizer just standing stiffly at the piano i have to feel and and know what that journey is that i'm on and my body should reflect that so that's something and but i love a director who doesn't come with a, a kind of that old-fashioned approach to it, which is that everything is studied and everything must be like this, you know, they, 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 and, and, and is Gesamtkunstwerk, the whole, the whole collection of things all together, is my concept and that's it. There's a, a better, what I feel is a better um, style and way um, of an English tradition that was embodied by Peter Hall, for example, or Peter Brook, that, that Peter Hall in particular, who would look at the individual uh, cast in a role and mold it around him and use whatever that he or she was bringing to a role and use it best to advantage so that there wasn't a fixed idea of where we were going. There was an overall general picture of things, but you had to slot into that. You had to mold yourself into that and be soft enough to take on ideas, to take on a, a different idea from your own perhaps, but an exchange of ideas. When you have something thrust upon you and forced upon you, it doesn't produce the best of work. It's a collaborative thing. and It, it it's, works best in a situation like that, I feel. You've also directed. Can you say a bit about what it's like to be on both sides of the dynamic? Did you notice, for example, anything different about directing an opera as opposed to singing in one? Yes, I could call the shots. <laughs> and, and say we'll have half an hour off now and things of that sort. But also, um, when you're in a rehearsal room as a singer, you get to ease off because someone else is being dealt with over there and then the, you know, the focus comes back to you at a, at, a, at a later stage. When you're the director, you are the one that takes someone aside and says, it must be such and so-and-so and you must do it like this or like try this or whatever. And, then realizing that the singers over on the left-hand side of the stage uh, are just milling around and, and doing their own thing for the time being. You have to remind yourself that when, when you're the director and, and it's gone silent on stage, it's because you should be saying something. You're in charge. It's a very different thing of being in charge of the, the running of the show when you've just been a piece of plasticine in someone else's hands for years and years and years. Suddenly, you have to mold the plasticine and that's something that you, one has to get used to. And if you're not used to it, the, the, 
those first attempts at it, um, you, you, um, it can be quite unsettling. It, it can unbalance things. And did you enjoy directing? Mostly I enjoyed it enormously. I enjoy enormously always the collaborative thing with the designer. And I think that's my favorite part, really, in many ways, of the weeks, the months of preparation and kicking around ideas and sitting with a model, sitting um, with, uh, you know, with, with, with little figures and, and, and walls and, and cycloramas, whatever it might be, on a, on a, on a model of theatre and, and, and trying to decide what you might do and which way you might go with it. And that's very interesting for me. I mean, I, I, I'm a painter myself. I draw a lot. And so the, the, the creative thing of that sort uh, is intriguing for me and the, the models and everything else are all part and parcel of me. Uh, and I, I enjoy that enormously. Getting that across to a cast that then steps up in front of you who will say, no, I don't want to do it like that, makes me also realize when I was awkward as a singer in front of a director, if there was something I didn't like, how difficult I was making life for them. You know, I realized that a director, a designer spent two, three years, whatever it might be, in serious, serious um, conference over, over what they're going to present to a company and to a cast, and having gone through that lengthy, lengthy process, I mean, really intense process, for a singer to step up in front of them and say, no, I don't think I want to do that, makes me realize why singers get such a reputation at, at times, such a bad reputation at times. And so I'm very conscious of that. And likewise, uh, singers are very conscious that I'm aware of that too, that, that you know, this strange interchange, that they don't have a natural argument with me because they know how much work I've done as a singer myself. So they, they know I know the rules and the, and the job involved. It's interesting. And if you were speaking to that younger version of yourself, what advice would you give him? Uh, have more confidence. I lacked confidence, which is probably not a bad thing, but I have often looked around me and been astonished at how far um, belief, self-belief can take you. It, it's co it, it comes of coming from the Northeast, I think. Um, it's a, it's um, a kind of shadowy area of the land where people keep to themselves and uh, uh, feel that they've been hard done by at times in, his, in its history. And it's difficult to assert yourself when you've had that kind of background. It's been, I've found, I perhaps at times could have been more self-assertive. And speaking of the Northeast, um, you've had a career all over the world, but would you say you're still a child of the Northeast? Yes. Yes, I am still a child of the Northeast. Um, you know, Durham, as you, you well know, Sophie, I probably well know that, that they produced a bag, a Hessian bag that students can, anybody can purchase, and it says, you know, you can take the boy out of the Northeast, but you can't take we can't take the northeast out of the boy. Um, it's a well-known quotation of saying it can be adapted for almost any situation, whichever you choose. And it, it was put down to me on that occasion. And yeah, it's part of part of my background. That whole history. It's um, it's the place that people go through in their haste to get to Edinburgh. Um, and Bonnie Scotland, you know, and it's, um, I'm happy with that, you know, they just, if, if the vast majority of folk just go by it and leave it alone, leave it in peace, that's fine by me. But it is a special part of the world. I, 
I grew up there and had really happy days and uh, great memories. Had a, a, an interesting time, I think, coming out of the war and everything that happened afterwards. Um, yes, it's it's a deep, deep part of me, which is why northeastern ships and things like that are on my wall behind me. And that's from Siam in my own hometown. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all it's all around here in the room. Mm. Lovely. So we're imagining we're going to have lots of young singers and emerging artists listening to this podcast who often describe difficulties with nerves and dealing with adrenaline obviously both in audition and performance situations was this something that you struggled with or did you sort of have a go-to coping mechanism i mean i think the truth is i i've not had uh it's not been a serious problem for me over the years lastly but there have been times i mean it does vary depending on the demands of what it is you have to do. There are certain roles that I haven't enjoyed performing necessarily. Not many, uh, two I can think of. Um, but that didn't mean that you stood in the wings fretting necessarily, uh, but just that it, was, it became more of a routine, a, a chore than something that you really enjoyed. There was uh, one particular role I remember used to cause me, and I didn't sing it for very long uh, because I took it on in the wrong kind of circumstances. And I think that's something that one should always bear in mind. Make sure that you're prepared, that the circumstances are right uh, before stepping into something that, that might be really huge and really demanding. And there was a role like that in my life. And I should have gone back to it. I think it was always a marginal, edgy piece for me. But doing it in the wrong circumstances initially meant, meant that I never revisited it. And I think it was healthier that way. Um, and don't ask me because I don't want to revisit it now either. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, people wonder how, why you're so lucky. It's the, the old Gary Player golfer thing of the more I practice. Uh, the luckier I become. And I, it, a lot of hard work. Get the preparation done. You know, there's supposed to be Olympics taking place in Tokyo this year. They're not going to. But imagine training for four years to do the long jump and hitting, putting your spikes on the board and leaping into a sad pit. And that's all you do for four years, ready for that day when you do it in Tokyo. And then not to be able to do it. That must be shattering, shattering. But that's what you have to do as a singer. You do it over and over and over again. You just don't leave anything to chance. Just practice, practice, practice. As students, I find, um, I meet a lot of students at the Royal College of Music, for example, as well as Durham. And uh, they think they're working hard. They think they have a massive workload. They don't know the half. It gets tougher. That's why at this early stage, everybody must take advantage of every moment they've got. Because if you're successful, if work starts then to come in, and it's from everywhere, rather like, you know, Jose Carreras used to have three diaries. That's success. And you don't know where to be at any particular one time. You know, I think, no, I think I'll drop those. It means that you cancel rather um, casually at different times. But if you've, you've got that amount, that intensity of work, you need to be ready for it. And your ages are the times when you get ready for that. Yes. 
There are so many roles that you have revisited over and over again. And we have a lovely little quote here from Jonathan Miller, who said mm -hmm. that you are always slightly different and fresh every night without being in any sense dangerously capricious. Whenever you're on the stage, the electrical potential goes up by several hundred volts. How do you keep a role from becoming stale? By paying Jonathan Miller a lot of money. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, well, I think because I'm a absolute nut for detail. I'll admit something to you. I have a, I'm in my music studio at the moment, two floors above here in the house. I have a, a painting studio where I can do uh, drawing, painting, whatever I might want to do. And then in that direction through the garden, at the bottom of the garden, I've got a, a shed or a workshop. Um, and the workshop is, is what I do uh, and go to very willingly. I make model ships, historical model ships. Um, I'm working on one at the moment. And I work not only with these specs, so I've got some specs on, but then I have magnifying glasses that, that can take me further in, and I do tiny, tiny, tiny work. It's, I never get bored. It, it, I've never been bored with the, the stuff I've sung. I've, I've always listened to what someone's singing at me and reacted to it rather than assume it was going to be the way it was the night before. It never is. And whilst you can do that, and as soon as you've taken that on board, it, it never gets boring. It can't be, you know, because I'm not talking about some uh, lesser operas. I'm talking about major operas, you know, the major Mozart operas with what Da Ponte had to say in them. And it was significant. I mean, really extraordinary things. You, you learn of life and about the human condition through, through these things. And listening to it and thinking about it, uh, it's, it's kept it entirely, uh, always interesting. Uh, that's, that's basically, but um, uh, it's playtime as well. Uh, Jonathan says these things, or said these things, which was very nice of him to say, so he always wanted me to do um, some check-off with him. It didn't happen, but that was always the talk. I just love being on stage. I, I like the thing, I love the theater. It's not just the music, I just like the whole thing about I'm fascinated by actors who become something different. I mean, I don't, I don't think that I don't know who I am any longer. And what you know, the, the, the amalgam of characters that there are inside me that I perhaps draw on every day in my life. And it's the same for any actor. I think it's difficult to throw it all off at the end of the day. And talking about playtime, I remember when I was a student at Durham, you were extremely generous with your time for the students and societies as chancellor of the university. And you once said that rather than winding down into retirement, you just seem to get busier. What are your thoughts on retirement? It, 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 there's no retirement. You just, just, you just shift the focus slightly from, from warming up at the piano every day, doing scales, to uh, making sure your fingers can handle tiny, tiny little ropes and make knots or it, it, um, hoe the garden successfully or whatever it might be. There are so many things to learn about, you know. The, the study of natural history, I'm a big bird watcher and uh, um, I'm thrilled that there's a blackbird nesting in the garden at the moment. We have, we've not had one before. Um, is it, everything, I just, I've got the blinkers, it's what singers have to do. You take the blinkers off, stop thinking about um, text and, 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 and songs the entire time. Take the blinkers off and do that. I was in um, Durham at the end of the year, last year, and uh, 
we opened the assembly rooms that have had a wonderful refurbishment and it's terrific it looks really lovely and had a chat there with uh, Gus Christie from Glyndebourne and we did uh, an evening and there was a worked on some uh, music and there was a young lady in the audience a French girl I think she was um, asked me a question at the end of it all about I think she wanted some kind of insurance that she was doing the right thing and she was going to be able to have a a successful career and then move on and uh, I tried to say one or two things and I found myself uh, you remember Jess Jess Lawrence yeah uh, Jess uh, said she was a little a little bit horrified initially and then realized what I was saying because what I said to the girl was get a life <laughs> um, which sums it all up really is, is is you think that you have to be uh, uh, devoted to music and uh, 24 hours a day and you you do but that doesn't mean you can't have other things in your life and the other things in life that you that you delve into that, that cause you to be curious and curiosity is the big thing enhance what it is you do as an artist what you do as a musician what you do as a singer whichever category of those you belong to an artist musician or singer I don't know uh, so it, it's a, it's an amount it's a, it's a mixture of all of those things and yet another amalgam. Yeah, it sounds like you're in the ideal place for lockdown. Have you been listening to much music? Mm. And if so, what would your soundtrack to your quarantine be? <laughs> what a good question. Uh, I really should be saying, um, I don't know, Iron, Iron Maiden or something like that, shouldn't I? Or ACDC or, so, or something, I don't know. Something, something really... Shocking. Uh, Black Sabbath. No, actually not Black Sabbath. Um, Stuart Corbridge would hope that I might say Ian Drury, but uh, I don't. I think the thing I listen to most. I enjoy Sinatra. I enjoy a certain amount of uh, operatic music going on. Uh, chamber music. I've been listening to some um, some Sibelius symphonies, which are, and tone poems and what have you which is wonderful, but I've been listening just this morning to some Schubert trios, uh, the Grumio trio and the Bozart trio, and uh, it's just calming. Very it helps. Cool. We're coming towards the end of our interview, so... Oh! Uh, I know! <laughs> uh, we'd love to ask you what you think the future might hold for classical music in the UK. That's a poignant question at a poignant time. The, this morning there was an announcement from John Gilhooley that um, Wigmore Hall are refiguring themselves and they're going to be putting out music from June, I think, with no audience, just two people, uh, a pianist and a violinist, whatever it might be, various formats in the hall, delivering some live music. I think the proms are just about to announce the fact that they won't happen. I, or I don't know I'm saying that, but they may. Glyndebourne won't happen. Uh, these are terrible things. It's, it's, it's a terrible catastrophe that's happening. And, and my own agency that, that, that have looked after my career, I mean, they're looking at that, which is, you know, finished. I'm retired. But there are umpteen young singers and conductors and uh, instrumentalists that are completely bereft and, and, and left high and dry. What happens after this? It has to pick up again, but God knows how. I mean, it's going to be a really difficult job. Uh, uh, I think most people are starting to think that um, we're looking at January now, which is what I hear. 
before things start to get moving again. The rescheduling of, of, of concert halls, of orchestras, of opera companies, you know, whether people in the meantime have disappeared off the face of the earth and, and have decided this was the, now the time for them to leave. I, I, I don't know. But there, there's an immense place for classical music uh, in future. I th it, 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 it's why are we talking about it? Because, because somehow, you know, we, we categorize things, we have to pigeonhole things. And we pigeonhole all the, the general public, Joe public, Joe dirty public at large, pigeonholes this as some kind of esoteric being. It's not, it's music that I grew up with, that you probably grew up with, or you're a different generation. And it's there for everybody, but somehow or other, social media or various, you know, prior to that as well, it's been categorized as something different. It had to have a label attached to it. It's for everybody. You know, I did a project with some Yorkshire children in many schools a few years ago around Halifax, nearly 30 schools. Um, and I remember several incidents, and one in particular, and I sang, uh, for a, a group of young children, they were eight, nine, ten-year-olds, something like that, no more. And um, they sang for me, and uh, I got them to run around the gymnasium. They wanted to know what opera was. So they sang for me and ran around their hall, their gymnasium. And, uh, and I said, you've just done an opera. You sang and you moved at the same time, so that was opera. You, there you are. They, that, they wanted to know. And they, they, then they implored me to sing, poor things. They implored me to sing. And I wondered what scene for them and I finally not much I'm other than folk songs and what have you, but I sang Billy Bard this the famous section in Billy Bard in the opera Billy Bard by Britain where he is deep 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 in the bowels of a ship and he's about to be hanged because of mutiny leading a mutiny so to speak so 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 said and uh, I just embarked on it. No explanation, just that this is about the sailor boy. Sang this, sang the song. And they were completely wrapped with attention. They were intrigued by it. They wanted to know more. When I went back to the school a month later, I said, what should we do? Tell us more about Billy, about the sailor boy. And these, these were children from really tough backgrounds, really difficult, difficult backgrounds, living in not the height of luxury or anything else like it, but, you know, they didn't know. I didn't have to tell them that it was a difficult subject and this kind of music is really difficult. All they wanted to know was what the piece was, uh, or rather what Billy was doing, and, and, and tell us more about the story of Billy. And that's the secret to it all. That's, uh, that means to me, as far as I'm concerned, that mu music is for everybody. Classical music, pop music, whatever. It's there for everybody to listen to. Don't label it. Absolutely. Tom, we'd love to conclude the episode with a series of 10 quick-fire questions. Are you ready? Oh, my God. <laughs> Question number one. What did you dream of becoming as a child? Architect. Number two. Ambition or talent? What matters more to success? Talent. Number three. What is the worst... What? But then addendum to that, that, there's nothing wrong with ambition either. Good. Okay, number three. What is the worst job you've done outside of singing? Putting in the coal when I was a little boy at home. We used to have coal delivered on the street and I had to shovel it in. 
Question number four, what is your biggest extravagance? Oh, it's gone by, it was a Porsche. <laughs> uh, number five, what would your perfect morning entail? This is gonna sound really cheesy. Um, a round of golf with my son. Oh. Number six, favorite art song of all time. I suppose I could go with Schubert and the music. It's not bad. Out of hundreds and hundreds, I might have chosen. Good choice. Number seven, dream role from any fach. <clears throat> Don Giovanni. Number eight, favorite stage to sing on. The Staatsoper Munich. Number nine, any pre-performance superstitions? No, I'm not superstitious in that way, no. And number 10, I feel like we can maybe guess this now, but favorite composer? <laughs> Beethoven. Ooh, rogue. There we are. <laughs> That's what I listen to a lot. It's one of those things that one grows into. And Beethoven is uh, not Mozart. I've moved to Beethoven. I did think you were going to say Mozart. We're thinking of creating a Spotify playlist with um, pieces spoken about in these interviews. So can you give us a Beethoven piece we can put on our playlist? Fidelio. Yeah. The whole thing. <laughs> the opera. <laughs> the recording made by uh, Otto Klemperer. Okay, thank you. Excellent. Thank you. So Tom, it's been a huge pleasure hearing your definitely existent pearls of wisdom and stories from the stage. We're honoured to have had you on Diva Download and we wish you all the best in these rather strange times. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's, it's terrific and I wish you well. So, another Diva Down. Load. Ed. <laughs> Next week, we're joined by another British legend. British. Dame British. Sarah Connolly. We're, we're both smiling so much, I wish you could see. Oh, love that woman. Love that woman. See you then. <laughs>